Welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Sound Prince for the week of September 4, 2022. The South Central Kentucky Council of the Blind, KCB's chapter in the Bowling Green area, invites everyone to its virtual social hour on Wednesday afternoon from 2 to 3 p.m. Central Time, 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. The speaker on September 7 will be Loretta Roberts from Envision America. She'll be talking about the Spoken RX, talking prescription labels from CVS, as well as accessible pharmacy services for the blind and visually impaired. Join them on Zoom by dialing 669-900-6833 and entering the code 763-689-4411. The Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will hold its September business meeting on Wednesday, September 7 at 8 p.m. on the KCB Zoom line. Its September support call will be on Wednesday, the 21st, also on the Zoom line. KCCLV's in-person low vision support meetings for September will be on Monday the 12th and Monday the 26th, both at United Crescent Hill Ministries, 150 South State Street in Louisville. The time is 1 to 2.30 p.m. KCB Next Generation will hold its September business meeting on Thursday, September 8 at 8 p.m. on the KCB Zoom line, and it will also have a support group meeting on Thursday, September 22 at 8 p.m., also on the Zoom line. The Zoom line number is 669-900-6833, and the code is 862-9889-6972. The Greater Louisville Council of the Blind invites everyone to our virtual roundabout on Saturday, September 10, from 2 to 4 p.m. on the KCB Zoom line. Then on Saturday, September 17, GLCB will sponsor our monthly bingo. Doors open for the bingo event at United Crescent Hill Ministries, 150 South State Street in Louisville, at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll join the Zoom line at 2 p.m. and play bingo until 4 then at 4 o'clock, we'll have dinner at UCHM. The cost is $6 per person. And we ask that everyone make their return rides home by 6 p.m. If you'll be with us for dinner, please give us a call at 502-895-4598 to sign up. And remember, if you must cancel, please let us know that as well. The ACB Board of Directors met on Wednesday, August 31, but it didn't finish all of the business on the agenda. The ACB Board will continue this meeting on Tuesday, September 13. The meeting time and broadcast channel on ACB Media has not yet been announced. We will publish this information on our email list as soon as it is available. The American Council of Blind Lions has a new Fillmore Telephone Information Service that lets you listen to the Lions Magazine and other articles from the Lions website from any telephone. The articles on this line will change twice a month. 
To reach the ACB Lions information line, call 773-572-6374. Please note that this is not a toll-free telephone number. ACB Lions also welcomes new members. If you'd like to join ACB Lions, membership is open to anyone who is currently a Lion, anyone interested in becoming a Lion, or anyone who has been a Lion in the past. Membership dues are $15 a year or $150 for a life membership. For more information or to join by telephone using your credit card, call us at 502-897-1472. Helga Gilbert is the Division Director of Blind Services for the Kentucky Office of Vocational Rehabilitation. Helga joins us on page 2 to invite us to participate in a community conversation about Kentucky's Independent Living Program for Older Blind Americans. This opportunity will be on Zoom on Wednesday, September 14. Helga also talks about the Independent Living Program and how it has changed in recent years. Be sure to check out page 2. Then on page 3, you'll hear an article containing tips for selecting technology, followed by several timely announcements from Braille Book Review and an article from Everyday Health about 10 surprising foods that you can include in a diabetes diet. Here are six ways to listen to sound prints. First, ACB Media 1. Listen on acbmedia.org or on the phone at 518-906-1820. Here's the broadcast schedule. All times are Eastern. Sunday, 8 p.m., Monday, 8 a.m., Tuesday, 6 a.m. or 6 p.m., Wednesday, 4 a.m. or 4 p.m., Thursday, 10 p.m., Friday, 1 a.m., 10 a.m., and 1 p.m. Enable the ACB Media skill on any Amazon device, and then just tell the A-Lady to open ACB Media. She will ask what channel you want to hear. Just say ACB Media 1 and you'll be connected to the correct stream. Number 2. Soundprints is available as a podcast from the KCB website through the iTunes store or on the Victor stream. Add kentucky-acb.org slash soundprints.xml to your favorite podcast device or subscribe by searching for Soundprints, one word, under Podcasts in the iTunes Store or on the Victor Stream database. 3. Soundprints is now available on KCB's audio information service from any landline or cell phone. Dial 773-572-6318 and select the number 2 from the menu. 4. Visit the Kentucky Council of the Blind website at http colon slash slash www.kentucky-acb.org slash soundprints and listen to current or past programs. 5. Soundprints is available on CD, playable on any standard music CD player. Request a subscription by calling us at 502-895-4598. And 6. Listen on Radio I a radio information service based in Lexington, Kentucky, at 1 p.m. and 9 p.m. on Saturdays and 5 a.m. on Sundays. 
ask your Amazon device to open Radio Eye or visit their website at radioeye.org. Page two. I'm speaking now with Helga Gilbert, who is the Division Director of Blind Services in the Office of Vocational Rehabilitation. And Helga is here today to talk about a few things that relate to the Independent Living Program. She has an event that she would like for people to put on their calendars and participate in in order to help them with some things that they are doing. And then also, as time permits, she's going to give us a few updates on the program. So welcome, Helga. We're really glad you're here. Thank you, Carla. Thanks for giving me this opportunity to let people know about what you were just mentioning. Um, An opportunity has arisen to invite people to participate in a community discussion. This community discussion, it'll be held on September 14th. So the discussion, I need to give you a little background on this. The discussion is actually hosted by the Technical Assistance Center um, for our independent living older individuals who are blind branch. And that Technical Assistance Center is, uh, funding is provided for them by the Department of Education and the Rehab Services Administration, and they do just that. They offer assistance and support to all the programs around um, in each state that offer services to older blind individuals. And so we have reached out to them and said, you know, we would love to work with you on providing, on, on getting your help in doing our strategic planning for the next year and in helping us um, make some adjustments and uh, some things that are happening in our program that we're going to need, you know, benefit from your insights. And then, um, so what they're doing is they're hosting a community participation sort of an event where you can call in or Zoom in uh, on September 14th. And uh, it's at 12.30 to 2 Eastern Standard Time. And I'm sure Carla will give me a way to send you that Zoom link after this call. I will. Uh, in fact, we will post it to our uh, email list so that people will be able to have that link and, um, and and make sure that they can get involved. Oh, perfect. Thank you. So we're, we're trying to really reach out to all the stakeholders in Kentucky that might want to participate. And what we're asking for, and even if you don't know a lot about the program, you're still welcome to come and be part of that discussion. Uh, but what we're what we're hoping for is that individuals – who maybe have some experience with the program or have known individuals who've gotten services through Office of Vocational Rehabilitation Independent Living Older Blind Program, it's specific to that program, um, that you will uh, join in this discussion. We, I won't be there. Uh, none of the administrators of the program or staff of the program will be there, and it's just a time to really um, give feedback, give thoughts, suggestions, things that you think can help us improve our program. So we'll take all of this information from this event and some other um, activities that we're doing around our technical assistance, and we will uh, it, it, they will make a report for us from what happens here with 
no names are used, and you know, so any of your comments or suggestions would be completely um, anonymous, and it's all just used to help us build a better program. So we'll take the information that we learned from this discussion group and some other activities that we'll do around our strategic planning and use it to guide us through some changes that are happening in the program already. For example, um, uh, we're getting a big new case management system and we have different reporting standards that the federal government would like us to report on for the, the older blind program. Um, we have some different funding sources that are made available to us. And so, and we have three new staff people actually. So all of these types of things um, are opportunities for us to take advantage of and, and understand how we can work with the technical assistance group and all this community feedback that hopefully you'll be able to provide us and strengthen our program. Sometimes people aren't real sure as to why these things are important. Um, participation in these kinds of activities are important. They might say, well, if there's not going to be any of the, the leadership there, then why should I participate? Well, the, these kinds of things are um, set up in the system, in the nationwide system, that through the Rehabilitation Services Administration and other parts of other entities created by the um, by the Rehab Act and the uh, Older Blind Americans Program in order to give details and information on on how people are perceiving the program. It's it's not something where you would come and say, "Well, I didn't get the." talking clock that I wanted they gave me I got the wrong brand and and I got it um, I, I wanted it on Monday and it didn't get here till Thursday I mean you could say something like that but but there you know and can you tell me why it didn't come the can you tell me why it didn't come is the part that you can't do in an event like this but you can talk about you know service delivery the kinds of service that would be really helpful. Is that uh, is, is that part of the um, of of the things that they're looking for, and the I, scope of the program? I think you're exactly right, Carla. It's probably not the time to talk about uh, the the very specific details of any one individual case. It's more looking at it from a the bigger perspective where we might be missing an opportunity to connect with another community partner, um, where we might be missing a, a, a certain population in Kentucky, um, mm -hmm. finding individuals who might be underserved and finding a better way to reach those individuals. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, issues like that that are a little bit higher level than um, one specific case. Yes. Yes. And letting uh, people know the kinds of things perhaps that would be more helpful within the program. You know, it's kind of thing, um, would it be helpful to know 
you maybe need a little more of one kind of service or maybe a little less of another. Um, that can be helpful, too, in planning and in, in creating the strategic plan. That's exactly right. Um, it's, it's really understanding what individuals' needs are and working with all of our um, consumers and past consumers and, and you know, fellow Kentuckians and community, other community groups and stakeholders that we pull together a better picture of where we stand as a state, how we're serving individuals and particularly older individuals. Mm-hmm. And maybe there are also, uh, how do we say, gaps or um, uneven uh, services depending on the part of the state that the person is in and how maybe those can be, um, maybe looking for how those can be um, made uh, more, I guess I would say, equitable throughout the state? Yes, Carla. So I would also say that our program faces challenges in staffing and personnel and having certain positions filled. So we've had um, through, I would say, no fault of our own because, my goodness, you know, our, our um, branch manager, Gay Panel, has invested quite a bit of time and energy in trying to fill positions in areas like Somerset and Paducah. Um, but sometimes we have a gap uh, that we don't want, uh, but we have staff retire or resign, and we work through the process to get the right person into that spot. Um, so, as I mentioned earlier, we do have three new individuals who've joined us, uh, and one of them is in that Somerset position, and her name is Ashley Dick. And we have uh, someone starting in the Paducah area, Angela Hershey. And then we have now two individuals serving the Louisville and surrounding area. So um, Michael Bolton has been there, but we now have Chris Wedding uh, join our independent living counselor team. Oh, good. That's good news. Because Louisville was always backed up, has been for a long time. with there's there's so much need in the in the area because of the population, and um, so that's really good news. Tell us some other things, just um, whatever you might want to share about the program, uh, the kinds of services. Some people listening may not be aware of what independent living can do and the differences between independent living and the OVR program? So the main difference between the two programs is uh, really in the title. Vocational rehabilitation is designed for individuals who are, who have disabilities and are interested in working. And so that kind of runs the gamut of an individual who's never worked before and would like to work or someone who um, would like to return to a job or an individual who needs rehab assistance in order to maintain their job. We have individuals from age uh, 14 uh, on up who get VR services. In the high school age range, we 
provide services that are all about exploring the world of work and getting some um, work experiences, learning about opportunities for education and training that can enhance their lifetime earning potential. Um, and we work with individuals who, of course, we try to find appropriate training for them um, based on their abilities and their interests. And uh, so we have a wonderful, we have two wonderful training centers. We have the per Carl Perkins Center in Eastern Kentucky. And it's, um, it really looks like a, a small community college. And there are a lot of training programs that a person can enter there um, from, oh gosh, um, child, you get a certification in childcare, cosmetology, um, third, um, warehouse type um, positions where you actually get certified training in doing logistics and in forklift driving. There's some opportunities in the area of um, culinary training and um, getting your start there and, and going on learning job skills. And well, I could go on and on talking about the, the Carl Perkins Center. And then uh, the sister center, I like to call it, is the Charles McDowell Center in Louisville, Kentucky. And that is a blindness skill training center and that has residential capacity and is also um, available for day students. And we have a staff when we're fully staffed of about 20 individuals at the, Carl, at the um, McDowell Center. And we train individuals, whether they're independent living program or vocational program, um, they're welcome to come there. So let me back up a minute and tell you, I was, I was starting to talk about the difference between the VR program and the IL and I got sidetracked. So individuals who are on the VR track would certainly attend the Carl Perkins Center and that's for individuals who um, have any type of disability that makes them eligible for our services can attend there. And then we have the McDowell Center for the Blind and that's available for individuals who have a substantial visual impediment and um, they can be either interested in pursuing employment, which probably 80% of our students at the McDowell Center are on the VR track, but we also have the ability to serve an individual who would be an independent living consumer also. So the independent living consumer or independent living older individuals who are blind consumer for the whole long name of that, that branch, um, that's an individual who may not necessarily want to work right now. That is not their goal. Or perhaps it's not their goal right now and they need to uh, work on some of the blindness training skills and um, adjust perhaps to a new vision loss. And so uh, we have programs available through the Independent Living Older Blind branch. So the counselors, I can tell you the difference between the two programs too and telling you a little bit about the, the staffing that we have for both. Okay. The, um, the Independent Living Older Individuals Who Are Blind, or OIB for short, the OIB counselor is someone who will actually travel to see their, um, their client or consumer, as we call them, 
and they, they will often travel to that individual's home and provide services that help keep them independent and doing what they need to do in their home and in their community. And those services can look like, um, well, there are a lot of things. So we can, it, it depends on the individual's goals. Uh, the goals might be, I'm not cooking as much anymore because I don't feel as confident in the kitchen. Um, or, and I, I can't read the newspaper anymore. Or I'm unable to dial the telephone and, um, so I need assistance in those types of areas, or I need assistance in feeling confident traveling, walking, um, going to the grocery. I need what we would call orientation and mobility or white cane training um, assistance. And so our counselors are able to go into an individual's home and provide devices and uh, equipment and training. It's kind of a, a short... Um, more of a short-term program, so we're not going to uh, look like other sort of home health services that individuals might be familiar with, but rather we're more like a, a counselor and a consultant who comes in and may make a few visits to the home and get the individual feeling confident and feeling like they've met the goals that they and the counselor established at the beginning of the visit. So at times, too, it might be important to bring in another professional that we have on our team, and um, that would be the orientation and mobility specialist. And we have two individuals who are state employees uh, with Voc Rehab, and they serve our independent living older blind consumers, and they also travel to where the consumer is to provide that training in their own environment. We also can consult with other professionals in our agency who are experts in the areas of assistive technology. Um, if an individual, for example, has um, a tablet and they, because of their declining vision, they're no longer able to use the tablet to perhaps do email or something like that. Well, we'd like to be able to step in, and, and we're really, that's one area where we're really trying to increase our capacity to serve those types of needs for individuals, but we, we would be able to step in and provide a little bit of training and find individuals who can provide that training for you. If our counselor doesn't have that specific skill set, um, we can find a techie person who does, and... Um, within our own agency and perhaps sometimes reaching out to a vendor to provide that service for you. So our services are no cost and um, and we do have when you perhaps might want to call our agency and, and find out more information and see if you might be eligible, we can hook you up with a counselor who covers the county that you live in. And we also have that information on, on our website, too, um, which I don't have right in front of me, but it's kcc.gov um, slash vocational rehabilitation. Okay. All right. And so a person might be a vocational rehab type client or case. Um, 
for it at some times, and then other times they may be an independent living type of case. Um, most of your people who are past working age would be the um, independent living case, but that can sure be helpful. Uh, Helga, if people are in an assisted living or a nursing home kind of situation, can they receive um, IL services? Yes, we do serve individuals who live in assistive living and nursing home settings. And not only that, but we can also be available to work with the staff at those facilities. Um, but if an individual, if we feel an individual can benefit from our services and work with our counselors to and have goals that they would like to achieve, you know, whether it be around magnification or lighting or um, orientation and mobility, mm -hmm. we can serve that individual, and we do. And so also just, you know, as I was saying, we can work with the staff. If, a, if the staff of a facility need to um, have a human guide training, for example, so that they understand how to um, guide an individual who is low vision or is blind through the hallways and in an appropriate manner or to um, help them participate in activities that are occurring there. Um, there's a lot we can do around training the staff to feel more comfortable and, and be better at it. We can also inform them about different, again, oh. equipment and devices and, and, and letting them know the whole world that exists out there of professionals who are trained to do this type of work so that they can access that also for their consumers. Right. And, and maybe even something as, as, as basic as making the staff more comfortable with helping that low vision or blind individual to go to the dining room, participate in um, activities that, that are planned and so on, rather than just sitting in a room all the time. There's definitely, you know, you bring up the dining room, there's a degree of independence that an individual can have or not have even in that setting. And so training around um, meals and, yes, making the staff more comfortable. We could talk about independent living all day because there's so many things that can be done. Um, we haven't talked much about the technology area because I think in the past the perception has been that um, pretty much all infant living can do is mark the microwave and maybe bring some oven mitts and uh, talking watch and that's that. But the independent living world today, OIL world today, is very different. And um, so uh, it's, it's doing so many different things. And with a very small staff, because when you think about statewide and and you have, you know, eight, ten people working in the program. That's a lot of territory to cover uh, for the the people that need help. So um, uh, the independent living people are doing a great job. How good, um, let's remind people once more of the date of this community conversation 
and also maybe give a phone number where they can call to, um, you know, to, to find out more about independent living services. Yes. Okay. So the date is September 14th from 1230 to 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Okay. And we are going to publish the, um, the link. It will be a Zoom call and you'll be able to join that call from any computer, cell phone, or landline phone. It will be on a Zoom link that is uh, unique to this, to that call. Uh, it will not be for the people that listen to sound prints all the time. It will not be the links that we uh, use and publicize each week. It will be a different link. So we will post that on the KCB News and KCB Events List. If you are interested in more information, uh, where should they call uh, for for more information about the Independent Living Program? Okay, the number that you can call if you're interested in independent living services is 502-429-4460. And that will get you to the switchboard at the Charles McDowell Center for the Blind. And they will transfer you to someone who can talk to you about our services and get you to the counselor that is closest to your home. Okay. All right. Well, we really appreciate it, um, you taking the time to talk with us today. And we hope that people will take advantage of this opportunity to participate in the uh, um, in, in this community event and uh, look forward to chatting with you more in the future. Uh, whenever you have any um, news for us about independent living or voc rehab, please feel free to uh, give me a call. We are always looking for updates on various programs that we can let people know about on Soundprints. So, um, you know, we're, we're willing to help and so be sure to reach out and let us know how we can, how we can help you. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Page three. The first article is five tips on choosing assistive technology. This was posted on August 30 and was posted by David Goldfield in his Tech VI list. The range of assistive and accessible technology has increased dramatically in the last 20 years. It's fantastic to have so many options and clever solutions that make life more accessible for people who are blind or visually impaired, and for people with reading or learning difficulties. But all that choice can be a bit confusing, so we thought we'd bring you some tips to help with decision-making. 1. What do you need to do? Are you looking for a solution for your home life, work, or education? Do you need to be able to read long documents, scan quickly, or maybe even read a book? Think about what you really need from a piece of technology or software and make sure that it solves the problem that you're having or maybe even offers more than one solution, such as magnification 
and speech in one package. This can increase the longevity of your AT. 2. Where do you need to use it? As well as thinking about the tasks that you need to perform, you'll also need to consider where your hardware or software will be used. If you have access to software packages at work, will you also need access to them at home? Will equipment stay in your home office, at your desk, at work, or do you need something that you can carry around easily? Giving some thought to this may help narrow down your search. 3. Budget This is one big one, of course. What is your budget and what offers the best value for money? Make sure that your provider also offers after-sales support, training, and customer service. 4. Training Will you need additional training or upskilling to ensure that you get the most from your new AT? Most products are packed with great features, but it can be hard to get up to speed on all of them. Ever buy a new washing machine with lots of programs and then use the same program every day? Further training will help you explore the products, features, and make sure that you are getting the most out of your purchase. 5. Connectivity Don't forget to consider how your AT will connect and interact with other technology or software, helping you to get the most out of both your AT and your mainstream tech. From the July-August Braille Book Review comes the following information. NLS Magazine Changes The following magazines are no longer being produced by NLS or the NLS Network. No new issues will be released, although you may still download archived back issues from BARD. These magazines include Cowboys and Indians Audio, Eating Well Braille, ESPN the Magazine Braille, Martha Stewart Living Braille, Parents Braille, and People in Espanol Audio. Today's Parent will become available in Braille beginning in October as a replacement to Parent. Replacements for other discontinued magazines will be announced once selected. The American Printing House for the Blind has released an update of its free Send to Braille application which allows Windows users to quickly create machine-related Braille files in BRL unformatted micro-Braille format. Version 2.0 allows the simultaneous conversion of multiple files and includes many back-end updates for smoother function. For more information, visit https colon slash slash T-E-C-H dot A-P-H dot O-R-G. Fable launches online course platform. Fable, F-A-B-L-E, an online platform that connects companies in need of accessibility testers with people with disabilities, has launched Fable Pathways, a free skills development platform that shares online courses for people with disabilities, by people with disabilities. The inaugural courses are 
Getting Started in Web Development, and Becoming a Manager. For more information or to view the free courses, visit https colon slash slash make it fable m a k e i t f a b l e dot com slash pathways laughware l a u f w a r e recently launched a directory of accessible windows programs categories include audio players keyboard shortcuts screen readers and many others. More than 200 programs are listed. The website also highlights podcasts of interest to the blind and vision impaired community. For more information, visit laughware.com. Benetech has recently released several enhancements to its Bookshare library program including a suite of free reading apps for web, iOS, Android, and Alexa, and the addition of 5,000 human-narrated books. Bookshare is available for individuals who have a qualifying reading or perceptual disability, a visual impairment, or a physical disability that affects their ability to read printed works. Membership is free to qualified U.S. students and $50 a year for U.S. adults. For more information, visit bookshare.org. From everydayhealth.com 10 Surprising Foods That Have Little Impact on Blood Sugar When you're diagnosed with diabetes, one of the first changes that your doctor will recommend is cleaning up your diet. Suddenly, even seemingly healthy foods are placed on a do-not-eat list. While you may start to feel like there are very few foods you can eat safely, you'll be happy to hear that a handful of foods commonly assumed to be off-limits are actually healthy choices for those living with the condition. These off-limits foods actually have a much lower impact on glucose levels than people think and get the green light to include in a diabetes-friendly diet. The 10 on this list also have a low or medium glycemic load, GL, which is a measurement that factors in a food's glycemic index and carbohydrates per serving to show how the food affects blood sugar, according to Oregon State University. Foods low on the scale break down more slowly in the body which may produce fewer fluctuations in blood sugar, glucose, and insulin levels. A GL of 10 or under is considered low, while 11 to 19 is medium, and 20 and above is high. While no two people with diabetes will respond to a certain food in the same way, here are 10 foods you may be surprised to learn may have little impact on blood sugar. 1. Carrots. Carrots are a non-starchy food that are good for a diabetes diet. If you've been under the impression that carrots are a sugar-loaded danger food, you are not alone. 
Although this is a common misconception, it is simply not true, says Rene Fajic, RN, owner and president of Seattle Sutton's Healthy Eating in Ottawa, Illinois. Boiled carrots have a GL of 2, according to the University of Sydney. Carrots are considered a non-starchy vegetable, along with options such as broccoli and lettuce, Fajic says. These foods are safe for people with diabetes to eat at each meal without worry that glucose levels will spike. 2. Sweet potatoes are extra glycemic friendly when eaten with the skin on. If you think living with diabetes means never enjoying a potato without a side of guilt, think again. Foods high in fiber including sweet potatoes, can support healthy blood sugar levels. One small spud offers about 2 grams of fiber. The U.S. Department of Agriculture, USDA, notes, Fiber slows things down, so it will slow digestion and slow absorption and slow any rise in blood sugar, says Lauren Harris-Pincus. RDN, founder and owner of Nutrition Starring You in Somerset County, New Jersey. Foods that are higher in fiber have a lower glycemic response. Sprinkle cinnamon on top to enhance the flavor without cranking up the carb count. Boiled sweet potatoes have a medium GL of 11, according to the University of Sydney. 3. Brand breakfast cereal is less likely to spike blood sugar than a low-fiber variety. People hear cereal and they think carbs, 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 Harris Pincus says, but that's not necessarily the case. You just have to be smart about which type of breakfast cereal you choose. A low-fiber cereal, like Rice Krispies, is going to be digested much more quickly than a brand cereal that's high in fiber, says Harris Pincus. And that's going to raise your blood sugar more quickly compared to a high-fiber brand cereal that's not sweetened, like Fiber One, she says. All brand breakfast cereal has a GL of 9, according to previous research published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. It is also an excellent source of fiber with 10 grams per one-half cup, according to Kellogg's. Harris Pincus says it's tough to say which milk is best to pour over your cereal as it depends somewhat on the individual, but she says 1% milk is generally a good idea. It's a low-fat milk, and it has that protein to balance out the fact that there isn't a lot of protein in the cereal, she says. Dairy-free? Go for soy milk. It also contains protein, Harris Pincus says. 4. Cottage cheese offers protein at a low-carbohydrate cost.
Many people assume that all dairy products contain equal amounts of carbohydrate and affect blood sugar in similar ways, but cottage cheese actually contains fewer carbs than yogurt or milk. Low-fat cottage cheese is high in protein and low in carbs, making it a terrific addition to a snack or a meal, says Jill Weissenberger, RDN, CDCES, author of Pre-Diabetes, A Complete Guide, who is based in Newport News, Virginia. Cottage cheese has a GL of 0.6. Be sure to select a variety with no carb-containing additives, which are added to certain brands and can lead to a spike in blood sugar levels. You don't need extra carbohydrates in such a wholesome food, Weissenberger says. Be a label sleuth and choose a variety with only pure, simple ingredients and no added carbohydrates. 5. Barley is a versatile grain that provides blood sugar friendly fiber. Because barley is a grain, it might ring alarms in your head. And it does contain carbs, but it also contains soluble fiber, and that's why it doesn't have a big effect on blood sugar, Harris Pincus says. Per one-half cup, cooked pearled barley has about three grams of fiber, notes the USDA. Barley tends to be good for diabetes and lowering blood sugar because even though it's a carb, it tends to form this gel that can help with carbohydrate absorption and decrease the rise in blood sugar, she says. Barley has a GL of 9, according to the University of Sydney. As for how to incorporate it into your meals, everyone thinks of soup, but you can make it like any other grain and eat it like oatmeal with nuts, fruit, or a hard-boiled egg. Harris Pincus says, 6. Red lentils can star in a diabetes-friendly, plant-based meal. Boiled red lentils have a GL of 4, according to the University of Sydney. And like barley, lentils keep your blood sugar response in check because of fiber. A one-fourth cup serving of red lentils contains five grams of fiber, according to the USDA, and this makes them a good source of nutrient. She suggests using lentils as a base for meatless sloppy joes, tacos, falafel, and meatballs. They are also an option for plant-based soup. There are so many things you can do with lentils, Harris Pincus says. It replaces meat, basically. Try lentils for your next meatless Monday. 7. With a surprising low glycemic load, strawberries are a good fruit for diabetes. Strawberries are often thought to have more sugar than other fruits. But in reality, strawberries have the lowest amount of sugar per one cup serving when compared to popular fruits 
such as apples and oranges, with about 7 grams per serving according to the USDA. Strawberries have a GL of 1 according to the University of Sydney. Strawberries can be the perfect low-calorie solution for someone with a sweet tooth, says Mitzi Dulan, R.D., Kansas City-based author of The Pinterest Diet, How to Pin Your Way to Thin. Research suggests that eating strawberries may help our bodies better use insulin, which can lower the amount needed to manage blood sugar after eating. Preliminary research published in May of 2020 in Food and Function suggests that berries, including strawberries, may improve insulin sensitivity and help prevent diabetes and its complications. 8. Raspberries are an excellent source of fiber and diabetes-friendly. Like strawberries, the sweetness in these berries might make you think there's no way they're part of a diabetes-friendly diet. But hear us out. They have 8 grams of fiber per cup, according to the USDA. That is really high, Harris Pincus says. That's essentially one-third of your daily value of fiber for women in one serving. Indeed, Raspberries are an excellent source of fiber. The Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics says women should aim to take in 25 grams of fiber per day. Raspberries also have a GL of 2, according to the University of Wisconsin-Madison School of Medicine and Public Health. If you like to snack on berries on their own, that's great, but Harris Pincus prefers to pair them with foods that offer protein and fat to balance out the fruit's carbohydrate content. Have them with cottage cheese and nuts, yogurt and whole grain cereal like a parfait, or on top of your smoothie bowl, or with a little piece of cheese for a snack, she says. 9. Yogurt balances healthy carbs and protein making it a great snack for blood sugar. Yogurt has gotten a bad rap as a source of hidden sugar. While some flavored varieties have sky-high sugar counts, plain yogurt can be a smart choice for those monitoring their blood glucose levels and has a GL of 3, according to previous research published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. Yogurt naturally contains both high-quality carbohydrates and protein, making it an excellent food for slowing or preventing an unhealthy rise in blood sugar, Feichik says. In fact, research has shown diets high in certain calcium-rich foods may even help to reduce the risk of developing type 2 diabetes. A study published in Nutrients in January 2019 found a higher yogurt intake was associated with a lower risk of type 2 diabetes, though the researchers said more studies are needed because other calcium-rich foods 
such as milk, didn't show the same effect. When selecting yogurt, watch for added sugars. The best choice is plain, non-fat yogurt, according to the American Diabetes Association. 10. In moderation, peanuts are a go-to crunchy snack for diabetes. Peanuts aren't usually thought of as the healthiest snack, but they don't contribute to blood sugar spikes as you might think. That's because peanuts contain very few carbs with 7 grams in a one-third cup serving and have a GL of 1, according to previous research published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. Peanuts have a much higher fat ratio than carbohydrates, and they take longer to digest, Harrius Pincus says. According to the USDA, one ounce of roasted or salted peanuts contains 15 grams of fat. You can snack on peanuts by themselves because they have a very low glycemic load and have their own package of protein, carb, and fat, Harris Pincus says. It's easy to go overboard when snacking on peanuts, but because of the fat content, stick to the one-third cup serving size. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody.